Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Looking ahead to 2021, the outlook not getting better if you're at the OECD. What's going on? The outlook from Lawrence Boone, the chief economist, joins us right now. Lawrence, talk to me about 2021 and why you've had to cut that forecast. So, as you know, um, we're still in the midst of the pandemic and we are having a second wave with many countries in the northern hemisphere um, and, and as well as, you know, having the pursuit of the first wave in some other countries. So 2021 is still very much affected by what's happening now in the first quarter. Now, with the vaccines in sight, there is much hope. Uh, and I think the outlook will be brighter. We project a recovery in 2021. As you know, it will be a little more than 4%. That won't be enough to offset the recession we have in 2020. But it's, it's a big step towards a brighter future. Um, what will be super important is that policies keep at the support on the health and the fiscal side so that we can achieve um, better recovery once, once the vaccine will have been deployed. Are you concerned about how much damage we do between now and then? Absolutely. We're very concerned, which is why we have this overarching message of keeping up the support. If, if we keep on, if we double down on health policy packages, because, you know, the vaccine's not rescuing us right now, we need to go through the winter and the spring and we need to deploy it. Um, firms have been affected by, in some sectors, going out of business, in others, weaker demand. Some people, a large chunk of people have been protected by job retention schemes, but some of them are falling through the crack. Uh, firms' balance sheet may be affected as well. So we are saying with vaccines in sight, you know, governments were vindicated in implementing this huge support to firms and people, and they must continue to do so. There will be a time to reflect on the debt, but that won't be 2021. So what kind of fiscal support packages are you uh, factoring in here when you come up with your 4.2 percent uh, growth projection for 2021? So what we what we are working on is assuming that the support to uh, workers through furlough scheme or job retention scheme uh, will be maintained, especially in the sectors which are directly affected by restrictions to mobility. Um, we're also incorporating the support to firms, and you know that a number of countries of OECD countries have extended this support sometimes as far as summer 2021. Um, we also have considered recovery plans which have been issued by a number of countries. Um, what we are saying is, you know, with monetary policy very accommodative and in a foreseeable way for the future, the debt services of most OECD countries is actually lower than what it was in 2014. So there is space for using the fiscal stool in the strategic way that I've just described throughout 2021 and until the recovery has gained more momentum um, or unemployment has started decreasing. That is super important. Alternatively, and we have two scenarios in our projections, um, if there's not enough public health or fiscal support, uh, confidence may falter, firms failure may be bigger, and we could be in a much, much lower recovery with damages on the side for jobs and for firms. 
Lawrence, a, a lot of people have looked at stock markets globally, looked at their incredible performance of late and said, look at how well the economy is recovering. And yet this dissonance between the economy and markets continues, at least when we look at the economy in real time. Are you concerned that people's emphasis on stock markets, on risky asset prices as a measure of economic health, that that actually hampers the recovery because it hampers the effort to get fiscal stimulus into the hands of people who actually need it? I'm, I'm not concerned about stock markets doing well. Um, I think they're forward-looking. That's, uh, that's the job of people on the, on the stock market. They include the better outcome linked with the advances in public health and also expectation of very strong monetary and fiscal support. What I'm concerned about is in some instances, there's a lack of connection between the size of the fiscal stimulus and the effect on the economy. And that's where fiscal public spending are not spent wisely, which is why we're insisting on the need to target the appropriate people, the viable firms. Some countries do that very well, um, as well as all those that are left behind. And also, and that's now even more important, you know, invest in the economy of tomorrow, education, digital and energy. Composition, not size. Laurence, before we let you go, you mentioned some countries are doing it well. Who's doing it well? You know, there are a number of countries which are doing uh, well, especially in Asia, because they've addressed the virus more quickly. But we're also seeing many countries uh, doing much better than we could have expected in this crisis because they've put in place the necessary support to firms and to employment. And I think they should continue. You know, there, there are talks of, of softening the support or withdrawing it. Uh, we've seen that in the financial crisis. We should learn the lessons. It's not the right time to do this. Rather, if we put in place the good policies, if vaccines are deployed and fiscal support remains, we could be in an upside scenario yeah. with even faster recovery. I hope this is what we're we heading to. We all hope so. We all hope so. Lawrence Boone, OECD Chief Economist. Lawrence, always great to catch up. Thank you. The OECD cutting its 2021 global growth forecast to 4.2% from the 5% forecast they had back in September. Let's bring in Troy Gajewski, shall we? Skybridge Capital Co. CIO. Troy, just help us reflect on the month that was and how we reset for the month to come. Yes. So, look, you, you came into this month. There's quite a few rotations, right? You came in when markets were pricing in a blue wave, and then you did. You got less than a blue wave. Obviously, you had a Biden victory, but certainly not a Senate flipping at least yet, and seats lost in the House. So that caused some of the, you know, cyclical names to sell off a bit and tech to rally back. And then, of course, we had the fantastic news, uh, which can't be understated enough about how effective these vaccines are and what that means in terms of light at the end of the tunnel. So you put that all together going in where you had a VIX around 40 at the end of October and a lot of risk off price action. And you had an extremely explosive month really across the board for all assets, whether it was credit, cyclicals, value. Really the only names that performed poorly were some of the stay at home names that had done so well for the rest of the or for the uh, earlier in the year. So, you know, as we look forward, you know, clearly we're starting at 23 times forward earnings again, just like we were at the beginning of September. Even after this massive rally, equities are only up three and a half to four the last three months. We all know that gains are going to be much harder to come by in equity markets or all assets in general. Um, but it is unlikely, unless we get that double dip, which at least from the data we're looking at, doesn't look like it's coming just yet, that we have a major dislocation 
uh, prior to the Biden administration being sworn in and hopefully getting, you know, half a trillion dollars or more in fiscal stimulus. What's the data that you're looking at, Troy? Yeah, so look, I think if you think of the stimulus that's still in the system, there's two and a half trillion dollars in more in commercial bank deposit accounts than there was coming into this year, for instance. You look at the housing market, it's on fire. Mortgage debt service is the lowest it's been in over 40 years. You look at the over $100 billion of debt that's been paid down by the consumer. You look at the fact that wages and salaries have now gone above where they were coming into the pandemic. Now, offsetting that, of course, is that transfer payments have dropped from, from fiscal stimulus going down. So you look across the board, and what you see is that there's a, an enormous amount of stimulus that has yet to be spent. Okay, and that's what's supporting consumption now, even as uh, enhanced unemployment drops off. At the same time, we have created 10 million jobs or recaptured 10 million plus jobs since the downturn. So there, there is the ability to consume. To your point on manufacturing, you've seen CapEx pick up meaningfully. Obviously, you've seen fiscal spending from the uh, federal government pick up meaningfully. Um, trade is not a, a net contributor, but those three cylinders are hitting strong enough, we think, to keep us out of a recession, provided, provided right, that we do get another round of at least McConnell-style stimulus uh, sometime in February <laughs> or March. If we don't get McConnell-style McConnell McConnell, being right? $500 billion, Troy, is McConnell yeah, exactly. $500 billion, so, is so that what you assume it is? Yeah, and it's unfortunate you know, to joke around all these things because there's real, um, you know, pain out there in, in, in the lower wage earners. But somewhere between a half a trillion was McConnell style, right? And Pelosi was two, two and a half. You one would think that Biden and, and um, McConnell worked together very well over time. Remember, they they worked together as Banner, McConnell, and uh, Biden that really struck out the Obama administration's deal in 2011. That 500 billion is still two and a half percent of GDP. Um, we were about 3.5% below PGDP at the end of Q3, a remarkable number. Looks like we'll probably be around 2% below PGDP at the end of this year. So 2.5% GDP is really all we need to get back uh, to, to the peak level uh, by the end of Q2 at the latest. So let me stress test the confidence just a little bit, Troy. This came yeah, sure. from Vice President Mike Pence. He said, we strongly believe the vaccine distribution process could begin the week of December 14th. That was reportedly Mike Pence speaking to governors in the last 24 hours. Then we heard from Governor Newsom, who had this to say, and I said it at the top of the hour, if these trends continue, we're going to have to take much more dramatic, arguably drastic action. How do you think this market would process some form of shelter-in-place order from Governor Newsom, something much more stricter than what we've seen already in the next couple of weeks? Yes, yeah, so that would certainly cause a short-term pullback. Not, nothing meaningful, maybe 1%, 2 3%, right? And again, it's back to starting level, right? Think of the starting level markets now. VIX around 20, right, it, which has been the post-crisis, post-vaccine, um, or, or sorry, post-pandemic crisis low. Um, we got up to 40 at the end of October, collapsed back down. Uh, multiples at 23x, and more good news looking forward than there's been in quite some time in terms of the economy, in terms of what the Fed continues to do, in terms of the vaccine news. If you get a stay-at-home owner like from a state as large as California, that will take a little bit of enthusiasm, and we may not have a strong December like we've had typically in the past. Yeah. But we don't think it's enough to really cause a, a major dislocation. You know, it could get as bad as September, October, but, but you know, down six, six and a half percent, it certainly isn't the end of the world. 
Um, so much, again, depends upon the fact that the light at the end of the tunnel is so much brighter because of the multiple vaccine candidates, which will finally get some of these bombed out sectors like lodging, uh, you know, airlines, cruise lines, the things that have really been the bottom leg of the K to come back uh, sometime, you know, Q3 of next year. Troy, it's great to catch up. As always, you're looking well. Yeah. Our best of the team, Troy Gayeski, Skybridge Capital Co. CIO. Good to see you, sir. I find the conversation about the economy far more interesting. Ethan Harris joins us now, Bank of America Securities Head of Global Economic Research. Ethan, great to catch up, sir. Talk to me about the difficulty in the months ahead and how much better you expected to get in the year after. Well, before I start there, I should point out that in this world of remote uh, access, I've got a, a gutter cleaning crew that just arrived at my house. So it could get interesting here in a minute. <laughs> Um, we understand. So, That's fine. You just work through it. <laughs> At least I'm not showing my legs off, though. But anyways, um, <laughs> the, uh, there's there's some kind of slowdown coming. I mean, we, we know that um, people have learned to live with the uh, the virus. They, they figure out ways to get around it and continue to do ec economic activities. But, you know, things are we're at a, at a almost worse than in the spring in terms of the caseload. Um, the shutdowns we've seen at the local level have been pretty limited, but they're going to be persistent because the number of cases isn't going to go away quickly, given all the holidays coming up and the kind of pandemic fatigue we have out there. So we're looking for growth to slow to about 1% in the first quarter as kind of the last vestige of this COVID crisis. And then from there, the vaccine story kicks in, the fiscal policy story kicks in, and we're much more optimistic. Ethan, we're looking at the economic data come through worldwide, not just in the United States. We've had some soft jobless claims prints over the last couple of weeks. But worldwide, the PMIs have been terrific, particularly in Asia. You expect that as you come off a low base, their diffusion indices. You've written about this earlier this year. Ethan, my question, though, is how difficult is it to draw a distinction between an inventory rebuild off the back of an unprecedented shock that is happening on a synchronised basis worldwide right now and a robust early stage recovery. Can you make that distinction, Ethan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that what we're seeing now is what you'd expect for PMIs to be if you're growing at, say, 5 6%. Um, and that's where we are uh, right now. Um, you know, this isn't a surprise. Uh, it's a little bit strange that it took this long for the PMIs to get to this level. I mean, where were they back in the summer when we you know, second quarter U.S. GDP growth was 33% and the PMIs were like at 55 or something. That's way too low. So there's something a little bit strange about the way they, they've they kind of been lagging behind. Uh, but, you know, readings in the, in the high 50s are, you know, a normal, healthy recovery. Uh, I do think they're going to cool off a little bit in the next couple months just because there's some real slowing going on uh, uh, in, in Europe U.S. and much of the Northern Hemisphere, but um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't view this as an unusual thing to have numbers like this. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, we are getting this incredible divergence between the manufacturing side of the economy and the service side of the economy, which has really uh, led to an increased number of jobless claims. Are you seeing yeah. the likelihood increase of a negative print on this Friday's jobs report? 
Well, we don't expect a negative print, but I mean, the the job market's going to be one of the sectors that slows a lot here in the next few months. Because while you can, when you do uh, restrictions and activities, you can certainly continue retail sales. You can have online spending. You can do, uh, you know, you find find ways around the restrictions and and, and shop and keep shopping. Uh, but what you can't prevent is a very weak holiday hiring season because brick and mortar uh, is the dominant source of jobs. And so some slowing in the job market's inevitable. Uh, you know, we're, we're still seeing, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand gain in payrolls. But, uh, but you know, if, if we, we could get to flat numbers by the time we get into the first quarter. So when people talk about scarring, what numbers do you have to see before you start getting worried about a double-dip recession? Well, I think that the, if we drop to, to the kind of growth numbers we have and there's no fiscal package, then you, you worry that you're going to dip into negative territory before the vaccine kicks in. I mean, I, when you talk to people about the vaccine, it's important to keep in mind is you don't need herd immunity. You don't need everyone immunized to, to benefit the economy. You need to have vulnerable populations immunized to the point where everyone feels comfortable that they're taking low risk, that this is something that you can live with. The, the uh, And so there's a, an increased engagement that comes with of vaccinating vulnerable people uh, and the and essential workers, uh, you don't need to wait for the herd immunity to, to help the economy. Uh, but yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna have a bit of a dead spot here, you know, as we go into the first quarter. And the economy does need um, fiscal stimulus. I mean, uh, local governments need help. Uh, the uh, small business need help. Uh, unemployed need help, you know, as the benefits keep um, diminishing. So uh, it's very important they get a deal done. We do think they will. We think that's the, probably the only serious legislation we get in the next two years will be a stimulus package out of the gate uh, because I wow. think we really need it. Um, if we get split government, it's going to be solid gridlock once we get past this initial kind of emergency funding situation. Uh, I don't, in, yeah. unless Democrats somehow manage to pull the uh, Georgia, uh, you know, we're going to have rock solid gridlock, I think. Ethan, great to catch up, sir. Always appreciate your insight. Good fun as always. Ethan Harris there of Bank of America Securities. Right now, let's turn to the issue at hand, which is still the pandemic. It is still 2020. And the question is, how quickly can we unroll or roll out these vaccinations in order to stop the pandemic and fulfill some of the hopium that we continue to see in markets? Joining us now, Dr. Jody Guest, Emory University, Roland School of Public Health, Department of Epidemiology Vice Chair and Research Professor. Dr. Guest, let's just start with what the road looks like ahead to get a critical mass of people vaccinated. Good morning. Well, we certainly um, need a big uptake in the vaccine, which means we really need a lot of trust that the science has been great behind it and that this is a safe and effective vaccine that we want to make sure we get to everyone um, across the globe. 
All right, so the reason why I ask this is because a lot of people are saying, well, we've got a vaccine, so you can fast forward to a better time ahead and price that in. But there is a question of how long it will take and how bad the pandemic could get before then. Can you talk about that process? In other words, that we're heading into the winter season, people are getting complacent, we're seeing virus numbers go to record highs, and we still are a ways away to that critical mass. Absolutely. So we've got a light at the end of our tunnel, but we are not there yet. And so we need everyone to continue to do what we've been asking, which is stay socially distanced, wear their masks, um, you know, keep their gatherings small, which is hard. We have a lot of pandemic fatigue at this point in time, but we are close. But we must continue to do all of those incredibly important prevention measures to stay to keep our numbers down. As you said, they are skyrocketing across the United States and across the world at numbers that we've not even seen um, up until now. So who should get a vaccine first? I mean, yes, we're going to have older individuals and perhaps nursing homes and healthcare professionals. Who next? I think we'll see a lot of frontline workers um, get be offered the vaccine next. Today, actually, the CDC is meeting and having a panel to discuss wh what the priorities will be and how those vaccines will be rolled out. Once you have a vaccine that has FDA approval, you have to go into a vaccination process. A vaccine by itself doesn't work until we get it to people. And um, so that decision will um, start today to really put together a robust plan of how the vaccines get rolled out. What do you think is the most uh, effective public relations effort to get people to have confidence in the vaccine, to go seek them out? Because that has been one of the biggest concerns. Absolutely. So I, I do believe that the fact that the FDA, which is going to start uh, reviewing their data from Pfizer and Moderna coming up, um, they will be doing those those data reviews online and anyone could watch them. I think that that is an incredibly important offer for us to be able to all watch that. Additionally, the CDC review today about who's going to get the vaccine and the order in which they will get it will also be available for anyone to watch. And that transparency is really important because these vaccines have been um, studied very quickly, but it does not mean the science has been too quick. And we want to make sure that everyone gets a chance to see that. Dr. Guest, I want to talk a little bit about morale among nurses, among doctors. I've read a number of stories and heard from people that it's exhausting. It's emotionally draining. It's traumatic. They went through the first wave, I know, in New York City. It was uh, really traumatic for them. And now they're seeing numbers creep up again. And we're seeing that across the nation. How does that factor into uh, what we are seeing now, the structure of our healthcare system, and how stretched it's getting? Well, I think as we think of supply chain that we've talked about a lot with COVID-19, where we were concerned about having enough gloves and masks and, and hospital beds, one of the things we've not spent enough time talking about is enough employees, enough clinicians to care for all of these patients. People are working so many days in a row without days off and that's exhausting and when you see incredibly high death rates that is takes an emotional toll that we can't under describe um, we need to make sure we're caring for them and um, a lot of clinicians i've talked to are um, 
are stressed about the number of patients that they're caring for, but also the lack of attention to the prevention messages that we are consistently putting out there. And so it really is an, is an honor to all of the people who've been working so diligently to care for those who are sick. We need to make sure we continue to wear our masks. I ask everybody this just because I have a diligence to my children at home who ask every day, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over, Dr. Guest? Well, I wish I knew that. I wish I had a magic ball that would tell us that. Um, what I can say is um, we are getting one of the best modalities to help us with this, with the vaccines coming up. But it does not mean that we will be without our masks the minute people start getting back vaccinated, we still have a lot of work to do, and we need to reach a certain threshold of folks who have been vaccinated before we are going to want to change those additional messages of social distancing, masking, and hand washing. Thank you so but much. it is coming. Good. I hope so. Uh, from your lips to all of our ears, Dr. Jody Guest of Emory University, we really appreciate you uh, being with us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.